It's 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at www.kpfa.org. It's 3 p.m. It's time for Cover to Cover Open Book. Good afternoon and welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book today. We celebrate Pride Month here on Cover to Cover by bringing you an encore presentation piece by Out Loud Radio, which includes live poetry performances as well as interviews with the artists themselves. Stay with us. Biracial, the only whole female. You are aching electric under my skin, but this is not a declaration of dependence. Still so many other places to hide, so many things to hide. Like the first boy I ever wanted to kiss had bruises on his knees, grass stains on his jeans, and mud on his chin. Rosa is reaching across to stroke Sachi's hand, clearing her throat. Can I buy you a Coke or a root beer float or a milkshake? Would you like a burger or pancakes, a tablecloth, a salt shaker? Can I get you some cinnamon toast? Sure, they have cinnamon toast or we could go next door. Can I give you some of mine here? Just a bite here. Wait, lean forward. Can I kiss you? This is Curiosity, celebrating lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth through spoken word. I'm Noah Miller. A new generation of poets are exploring what it means to be young, loud, and proud. They're talking about the excitement, the pain, the joy, the confusion of growing up outside the heterosexual box. They're doing it with energy and skill. Curiosity brings together some of the best young artists dealing with these issues. It's organized by Youth Speaks, whose motto is, Because the next generation can speak for itself. In the next half hour, we'll hear from four of those young people. Starting with Amelia Rosenman, 17 years old, winner of the 2004 Youth Speaks Teen Poetry Slam and the 2004 Brave New Voices International Teen Poetry Slam. How's everybody doing? All right. Okay, this is called Offerings or the History of a Couple in Line at City Hall. Sachiko is leaning forward in the shiny red diner booth with the glinting ketchup bottle and the glass tower of sugar. She is licking her bottom lip and then biting down on it, her eyes like little bells swinging up to the corners just waiting to be rung. Rosa is reaching across to stroke Sachi's hand, clearing her throat. Can I buy you a Coke or a root beer float or a milkshake? Would you like a burger or pancakes or a tablecloth, a salt shaker? Can I get you some cinnamon toast? Sure, they have cinnamon toast or we could go next door. Can I give you some of mine here? Just a bite here. Wait, lean forward. Can I kiss you? 
Sachi is growing impatient. She is blowing a bubblegum bubble and pop. She is splitting into a long black gown with a shivering black scarf. She is leaning diagonal toward Rosa in the diner, which is kaleidoscoping into a cold kitchen with clean angles. Her eyes have swung from bells into brown sugar balls that are melting all over Rosa's hot plate of a cheek. Rosa's tongue is reaching, but Sachi ties it with her teeth and two fingers asks her. Can I give you a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, or I've got some wine in the fridge, cheap stuff. Here, have some orange or better chocolate-covered orange rinds. Rosa is shoveling snow off her steps. They've left the kitchen for winter. When Sachi whizzes over in a sled, Rosa's imagining the sled, but Sachi is there and she is sliding into Rosa, spinning in her snowshoes and slicker and yellow hat and wet hair, she tells her. I will give you nail polish, children, breakfast croissants, phone numbers, mutual funds, teapots, picture frames, charm, playing cards, fold-up music stands, popsicles, bicycles, wash cycles, dry cycles, rubber gloves, lavender soap, bright red blood. Rosa's wondering where she's been. She says, would you mind if I gave you a piece of my mind? A deadline, a guilt trip, a stare, a last chance? Sachi asks, can you spare all of your secrets, half of your sweat, your best dress, your best smile, your mother, your sense, your space in bed, your sore shoulder, your sick throat, your stomach, your... She reaches for Rosa. Rosa swings backwards. Sachi zips up and out and into a business suit, a striped tie, a bun for the hair, ballpoint tips for the eyes. Now all is business. I will take MasterCard, Visa, Discovery, checks, cash, back rubs, advice, lifts downtown, birthday gifts, house keys, memory, lint, silverware, halves of sentences, cigarettes, unraveled promises. From you, Rosa says, I will take pennies, spare buttons, glass beads, strawberries, memory. Will you marry me? Amelia Rosenman with her poem, Offerings, or the History of a Couple in Line at City Hall. This is Curiosity. I'm Noah Miller. All of the performances in this program, including the one you just heard, are from a live Curiosity show at the Smack Youth Center in Oakland, California. And all of the poets are part of Youth Speaks, a really wonderful organization that helps young people strengthen their poetic voice. Susanna Mirseth just started with Youth Speaks last fall. She calls herself a newbie, even though she's been writing poetry for a while now, and she really is eloquent. But till she found Youth Speaks... She didn't have a place to share that. It's become a really important part of my life. And it's, it's such a vibrant community that you can't help but get involved. Even if you're not, even the youth speaks norm. You know, there are people who are willing to listen to you. And, you know, just people are nice. People are friendly. And it's a place where writing and ideas are a kind of currency. And people, it's a lot of teenagers who really care about things like people my age don't always care or haven't found things to care about yet but i feel like people at youth speaks definitely have what are some of the things that people at youth speaks care about i don't know you could name like an impossibly long list but i think some like joining things are i mean a lot of people are political i don't write specifically political poems but I'm very interested and I care a lot about politics. I mean, I can't help it living in this kind of world. Um, I think people are also just really interested in finding anything genuine. Um, you know, genuine human connection or whatever truth is in any moment. From the slam poetry that I've listened to and watched, I see that there is kind of a particular style that is kind of common, you know, and... I'm wondering whether that's something that you get indoctrinated into, <laughs> whether you feel like there is a slam poetry style that you are expected to follow. 
I think a style definitely exists, but I also think that you're not like shunned by any means by not following it. I think that within certain po- youth poetry cultures, and there is more than one, even within Youth Speaks, um, you'll get points for saying certain things. But I feel like on the whole, it's a really accepting place. And I can only speak from my own personal experience. And personally, I've been really aware, I guess, of not falling into whatever style exists there. I do my own thing. I don't write political poems. I I don't do hip-hop. But there's still definitely a place for me there. And there are other people like that there. So... I think it's much more accepting than a lot of, you know, youth slam poetry scenes. So let's hear you do a little bit of your own thing. This is called Nightlight. You are aching, electric, under my skin. And the words sting a shock across my ribs like monkey bars and into my patchwork heart. The pain is inscribed on the fibers of my muscle memory, a thing my limbs cannot remember to forget. It's like the memory of an impossible angel eternally implicit in the flipping of a switch, eternally reminiscent of a nine-year-old summer and a nightlight prize from that great state fair. Eternally yearning for some deeper understanding, I reach for that miracle where metal meets spark. Old enough to know better. And still my arm was paralyzed with pain. In place of my miracle was only this deep sea fire filling my tissues with teeth. Old enough to know better, so I recoiled covertly, eyes star bright with unshed tears. There are some things I cannot remember to forget, and you are aching electric under my skin. The words cut through my flesh sharper than any voltage. Everything you wanted to know about me. What could this email forward tell me that your silence hasn't already said? I believed them at first when they said you were quiet, but then I learned to listen. Walking beside you, I learned the code of the spaces between our footsteps syncopated with the breadcrumbs of stories that dripped from our lips. We learned that way of walking where, even if you knew what to look for, you couldn't tell who held the compass and who kept the faith. We encoded our coexistence so well, even I forgot who led and who followed. I forgot that neither of us knew where we were going. Hopelessly determined to reach that undetermined destination, we walked alone together for centuries in that tiny nothing town. You seem to have forgotten, but you see, I cannot remember how to. I cannot help but remember the lunches alone with you because our friends chose to bypass the conversations they knew we would have. Air between us, becoming a tightrope taut with import too tenuous to travel by mouth. A high wire tight with electricity, with footsteps, heartbeats hammering out of friendship encrypted. My body and mind tuned to the frequency of these truths. Eternally implicit, but never explicitly explained. You are aching electric under my skin, but this is not a declaration of dependence. I offered you slivers of my heart exposed like film and followed you to the ends of the earth. But I am not irreparable or incurable. I am only learning. Learning like we learned the way our voices fit against each other, singing old and strong like oceans of fishnets and skies filled with wishes. Sea shanties set at alto pitch, setting the backbeat for sun-soaked afternoons and nights crystalline with swings and icy stars. 
You ached electric under my skin, so I stood very close to you, even when we were walking with distance enough between us to be strangers. Anxious to understand this normal miracle of your eyes against mine. Our breath hovered like moths, close to the nightlight luminescent in the darkness between us, and old enough to know better, but still, I reached out, so... Arms paralyzed with pain, heart aching with electricity. I shake it off. I think it is obvious that I don't know where I'm going, so I am trying to go on faith. This poem is aching electric under my skin, and that is where it wants to stay. I keep trying to tell this story of us, on paper, to those people I trust most. Keep starting softly. There was this girl this impossible angel but that is where the story stops because my mouth fills up with seawater sweet with salt and syllables unspoken and the story still rests warm and sharp in the silence at the back of my throat that's Susanna Mirsef from San Francisco by the way she's 17 years old coming up more young poets they'll amaze you on Curiosity, celebrating lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender youth through spoken word. is curiosity. How about we let the next poet introduce himself? Hello, I'm Kent Overshone. I'm 16 years old and I'm from Oakland, California. Kent is a remarkable young man. At the age of 16, he's already performed with several opera and musical theater companies around the San Francisco Bay Area. And, and that's really what he considers himself, a singer, a dancer, a performer. What was the first thing that you actually created yourself and weren't performing that was somebody else's? I think I was 12, and I sat down at my keyboard, and I wrote a song, really bad song, but um, I performed it at a school talent show, and... What was it about? Um, 12-year-old angst, being lonely and whatnot, you know, having to deal with kids teasing me and whatnot. Were you teased more than other kids? I was teased more than the average kid. Um, coming from a family of collegiate athletes, um, it was a big thing growing up. A young, large, black male um, 
not wanting to play sports and wanting to sing and dance and perform. And my uncles were just like, no, you must play sports. You, you have to play football. Pick up the football. Pick up the baseball bat. Do something. But you're not going to dance and sing, you know. Only faggot sing and dance. And, you know, from the age of two, I sit in front of the TV and turn it to, I think it was KQED, and every once in a while there'd be an opera performance, and I'd point to it and say, Mommy, that's what I want to do when, when I grow up. And she'd be like, sure, honey. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it, it was always hard, especially with family members, the male family members, telling them, hey, I have a performance coming up. You want to come see it? Well, uh, we have something else to do. Or... I already bought tickets to a football game. How about you come with me? Well, I have a performance that day. Oh, well, I can't come. Kent is just discovering himself as a poet. In fact, the performance you're about to hear is his first as a spoken word artist. I thought I was the only one playing hide-and-go-seek. A band of black boys and relatives with angry faces and questions running after me. Come and Porter, carry me home. Run into my underground railroad through the thickets of thicks and slenders into a dark hiding place. Soot and coal smearing my face and lungs, trying to breathe. Waiting for that locomotive to take me away. Coming to carry me home. Running to the only good hiding place I ever knew. A closet filled with a multitude of garments and hangers and boxes to hide behind. Hiding behind chiffons, flannels, nylons, and a door to a closet. But still, so many other places to hide. I mean, I could wear the leaves of a bush as a bodysuit, but there'd be too many holes to see me through. Or I could hide behind a tree trunk, but these thick bones would protrude. But this closet gave me so many options, and still so many other places to hide, so many things to hide. Like the first boy I ever wanted to kiss had bruises on his knees, grass stains on his jeans, and mud on his chin. But this closet, this underground railroad, made it so hard to breathe. Fabrics and thick air suffocating me, waiting for that locomotive to take me away before they find me. Soon realizing that the end of the tunnel was not too far to reach. Running to that light, opening the door, finding that hiding wasn't an option anymore. Surfacing, learning, growing, blinded by the light outside, still finding it hard to breathe in this six-foot, 180-pound body. I have been fed too many candy-coated, chocolate-covered fabrications and delusions of love, and I've become too drunken too many times off of artificially sweetened, agonizing pain, filled to the brink with non-existent I love you's and you don't love me's. I've consumed society's confection-manufactured commercial six-pack abs, 30-inch waist, and great white teeth. This polluted body, these polluted lungs, filled with that same colon soot that belonged to that underground railroad, waiting for that locomotive to take me out of the closet that suffocated me, that I no longer belonged to. And now I need a breath of fresh air. I need you to exhale into me. But do I care that you just stare with a blank glare while I'm lying there, a glutton of self-hatred, wanting, needing your lips, my lips against each other's? But those eyes, those same eyes, that same glance poison my heart so slowly my heartbeat trickles away. A pitter-patter of rain soaking me dry. I need you to exhale into me because it's getting so hard to breathe through these musical lungs, diaphragm pushing to help the song reach your ears. One song, glory, one song before I go. Glory, one song to leave behind. Find one song, one last refrain. Refraining from refraining from running and hiding because I have no need to run anymore. And in this new game of hide and seek, you're no longer it. So find yourself a hiding place because I'm carrying myself home. Find yourself a good hiding place and I'm sure you'll find that you're not the only one. I'm not the only one. Thank you.
Well, you talk about uh, feeling like there's this particular thing that you're supposed to be as a large, young, black male. Mm -hmm. And then in this piece, you talk about there's a particular thing you're supposed to be if you're a gay male. Mm -hmm. This particular body image and yeah. uh, these particular products you're supposed to consume and this particular way you're supposed to act. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like those two things particularly are in conflict? The, the what you're expected to be as a black male and what you're expected to be as a gay male? I think so. Um, as a black male, you know, you're supposed to be, you know, tough and hard. And the stereotype of the gay male is, you know, to go and buy their shoes at Prada and, and wear all these nice hair products and six-pack abs and... and effeminate and these things definitely conflict learning to live in that limbo where I don't have to be seen as the stereotype of a young black male or the stereotype of a young gay male in that piece it sounds like you're kind of addressing this mystical unnamed lover mm -hmm. but is it more than that it's it's definitely more than that. Um, I'm calling out to not only a mystical lover, but to the people who once ridiculed me and and who were playing evil to me. Sort of, dare I say, a, a love poem to them, telling them, you know, you know, I know I need you to breathe into me exhale into me and love me you know because I am a human being as you are Kent Overshone a 16 year old from Oakland California you're listening to Curiosity. My name is Kyria Traber. I'm 19 years old. I'm a sophomore at San Francisco State University, California. I grew up in Berkeley till I was seven, but then I moved to a small town where I was the only black person, really, um, with my white mother. Um, but it was okay. And I, when I lived in Berkeley, I was mixed, and all my friends were mixed, and that was okay. But then when I moved to the city, I realized that that's not the case in, in, in many circles, and that you know, racial tensions, racism, it still exists and it's very relevant and, and I was actually confronted with what I had lived with my whole life. Like I, I was a bit of a social outcast as a kid and I'd always thought, oh, it must be because I'm ugly. But it's, no, I was different than everyone else and they didn't know how to relate to me and that's not my fault. At the same time though, I, my first reaction when people are telling me, look, you're black, you look black, people are going to treat you that way. You should say that you're black. I'm like, well, what about my mother? She's the one who, who brought me into this world and who took care of me. And I never had any help from my dad, who is the black part of me. When was the last time that you actually had to, had to think about this? Is it a daily occurrence? It, it is daily. I mean, right now I'm, I'm dating a white man. And that's actually part of a, a new poem that I'm writing. And uh, so, you know, that is an issue in some circles as far as, you know, can I be down with the cause? Was it a hard decision for you to enter into that relationship? 
It was for for a lot of reasons, um, but yeah, part of it is is that me worrying about what other people are going to think about it because again, there's the black community saying, well, how can you date a white guy if you're you know fighting for black liberation? And there's the gay community saying, well, you're bisexual. What does that mean? Are you just you know doing because you're cool, or are you hiding the fact that you're really gay? And and I don't even know myself. You know, sexuality can be so fluid. You know, I'm just, I'm young. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, but I'm really glad I did make that make that choice. It's it's been a a really important part of my life, and I've learned a lot. And it's just helped me. He's helped me through everything. On the fence. One. My father. He told me it was all right if I wanted to do that, if I wanted to be like that, if that was who I wanted to be. I can't get over the way he said it. Heavy, sharp at the edges. A T-8 drawl conjuring Alabama. The only prayer he remembers asking the Lord to keep his soul if he should die before he wakes, but no, he has never been religious. And his mama stopped taking him to church when she left him, homeless. 11 years old. Then a quick AT, curtailing, rambling reason, strength without too many words. He's a man after all. Less talk, more action. Two. I'm by, I'm by. By the way, I'm by. So by, uh, to have my own anthem. A theme song for those stuck in the middle. Bisexual, biracial, the only whole female. Though I wear a lion's mane, nappy hair, never once straightened. My high yellow complexion reminds that I'm born of the blood of the conqueror. And though I like men, I'm more often fantasizing about women, and four communities are asking me to pick a side, as if I have a choice. I must sign on the dotted line not just for cultural identification, but for true liberation. Because a black woman knows that only black people can help black people, so we must ignore our brother's sexism and homophobia for the sake of unity. And a gay woman knows that ignoring prejudice will never bring freedom, so we must sit anxious through lily-white homosexual socials for the good of the cause. And my white boyfriend means that I must sell out to both sides, so I better get back and get out of the way. Three, and I'm angry. Because they're cutting equal access to education, terminating affirmative action for lack of funding, and slashing remedial classes. And those would-be soldiers look at me sideways when I take the podium, mouthful of left-wing ammunition, because footmen still be tripping over who I choose to love. And I'm angry, because Revelations tells me that God disapproves most of those who can't make up their mind, and so does my father. And he wonders why I act disgusted when he tells me he's down with lesbians, says he really gets them, and he's comfortable enough to hug another man. And I wonder if he might accept me fully if I just told him I was gay. He said it was all right and wonders why I'm still angry, never knowing that I'll accept nothing less than that's great. Like, it's great that I'm a woman and it's great that I breathe air because it's who I am and nothing's going to change that. And I'm angry because I don't know if the gay community has my back on this. Four. Curious, questioning, self-hating, bi-trendy James always laughed when he was nervous. Buckled over in false confidence when he told his first boy he liked him. Laughing indignantly when his baby brother pulled his bi porn into the family room. Chuckling in almost defiance when his stepfather threw him down the stairs. And Heather? We used to share chapstick by pressing our lips together. Ridiculing glances of school children and their teachers second only to a child's wine court collection. A father's gift to his daughter between base reassignment and hurled beer bottles. Baby, he told her, I want you to be a pilot like I never was, but not like this. And no, she may not have been the first girl I ever loved, but she was the first I ever kissed and wasn't ashamed about it. Liberation be damned if we weren't gay enough. Thank you.
the way the word drips off her tongue like she's spitting at me, mocking culture, history, and everything my mama ever told me. Healthy means that she won't swell up like a blimp and, God forbid, have a wrinkle of fat in that tiny area between her breast and her butt. Healthy means that pizza is definitely out of the question because if she digests something with that little nutritional value and that amount of white, jello-like lard, then it's going straight to her thighs. Healthy means that any guy will want to touch her and enter her regardless of that zit on her forehead or the fact that she's a selfish Healthy means that there really is a difference between a size 7 and a size 5 and it's really important. Hey, it's downright American. I hate the way they all feel sorry for you when your lucky number is 11 or 15 or hand me a knife 22. How if you can pinch more than an inch it makes a gag reflex in the back of your throat and one may think, I don't really need to eat. As if somehow our bodies won't need calories to burn for energy. Not believing, not even hearing that our bodies need fat to function. I hate the way we all have our fat and ugly days because hating ourselves is the only thing that unites the modern woman. That rounded hip proving that a human body will never be a rectangle makes a sensible girl feel nauseated. She'd never think that it just might be the fact she's that stupid that makes her so unattractive. I'm average. Some people call average a nice way of saying fat, and I say call me fat because it tastes better anyway. I want to hold a fat body in my arms. I'm normal. I don't care. I'll put on 20 pounds and waddle in the class tomorrow at a whopping 180, and I'll still get laid first. Why are you so blind to logic, so oblivious to the joy of touch, so sheep-like? Damn you for giving a f about something so pointless, and damn the hell of you for making anyone else feel that way. Go to hell, you skinny-loving, pathological, self-absorbed America. Just listen to yourself, goddammit. Look around you and taste the normal, because you don't know what you're missing. 5'5", five, five, 160 pounds, 38, 33, 41. Kyria Traber. She was a winner this year at the Youth Speaks Teen Poetry Slam and at the Brave New Voices International Teen Poetry Slam. She is 19 years old. You've been listening to Curiosity, celebrating lesbian, gay, bisexual,